you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Thank you again, John, for leading us this morning and preparing our hearts. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to um, Lamentations uh, chapter 5. We're in the last uh, chapter of the most popular book in all of Scripture. <laughs> it's got more encouragement and excitement in it than... It reminds me of, um, I really like Foster especially, um, but I love listening. I don't listen to a lot of music on the radio um, most of the time. But now Foster always wants to listen to the radio, and he wants to listen to, to K-Love. And their tagline, I don't even know if it's still their tagline, is positive and encouraging. And, and positive and encouraging is great, but I'm reminded that, that Scripture and life is not always positive and encouraging. And that, uh, that is what Lamentations uh, is for, <laughs> to remind us of um, and to be present with us when our lives don't fit into a positive and encouraging uh, mold. Um, one of the things that I like doing more than anything else since I've become a pastor, uh, one of the most fun things that I get to do sometimes, I'm getting to do it for a couple a few people right now, is, is premarital counseling. Uh, so when I do a wedding for somebody, the, the cost is a minimum of four sessions sitting with me in the office, and most of you all go get married somewhere else. Thank you very much. Um, but I, I enjoy it because um, oftentimes, um, if, especially if I don't know a couple too well, but even when I do, it's so fun uh, to hear a couple story, to get to get to know them a little bit better as they're getting ready to, to be married. And one of the, the funniest parts, one of the things that I always do as a part is we do a very small amount of communication and conflict resolution in, in, as a part of premarital counseling. It's kind of a, a starting point. Um, and, and one of the things that we do as an exercise with that is the couples have to share with their partner uh, one wish that they have, one problem that they have in the relationship. And the curriculum that I use, uh, the exercise uh, insists you do two things when you share it. You have to make it about you. Uh, you can't make it about your partner. So it can't be like, I wish you weren't such a pain to be around all the time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and you have to tell them, and this one's even harder than that, you have to tell them, um, especially uh, for certain kinds of people, you have to tell them how you would feel if your wish came true. And so it's always this huge challenge, and your partner's job is to hear you. That's, that's their whole job. That's all they have to do is hear you, and the way that they show you that they heard you is by repeating back to you what you said um, and having you say, yes, that's what I said. You know, so if, if my wish was, ah, I, I wish, I was trying to find one that won't get me into trouble, uh, <laughs> I wish, um, th this, one's, this one's made up, I wish that I had, uh, you know, just uh, an hour every day to be by myself at home, and if I did, I would feel uh, um, more centered, right, calmer, I would have that half hour to myself. Uh, and, and my favorite, the reason I enjoy this so much, um, and it's, it's a little unfair, but, but no one in my experience, and, and I mean myself, I mean everyone that I've ever sat at premarital counseling with, so that's coming up on 12 couples, 
Uh, no one has been able to, as the listener, for the first time, get through their partner's first sentence without striking back. <laughs> and it's amazing. And, and I count myself included. Uh, we used this exercise when I went through premarital counseling, and I was unable to do it. Because what will happen is you'll say, I wish that I had more time by myself at the end of the day. And by the time you say day, partner comes in and says, well, yeah, you know, I wish I had that too. <laughs> right? Or, well, maybe the reason why you're, you don't have time to yourself is because, you know, we've got a lot of stuff to do and, and we don't have time to, to figure it out. Or they'll say, okay, well, maybe um, when you get home, I'll, I'll leave if that's what you want, right? Um, every couple. And, and these are people that love each other enough to get married, uh, just, just like I love my wife enough to get married. And we did the same thing. Uh, and what I think uh, is interesting about it to me, and I've noticed it not just in premarital counseling, but in uh, most of my own relationships and kind of the whole world is I think most of us have a really hard time of, uh, with letting someone else uh, name a problem if we don't like what the solution to that problem might be. Um, yeah, I think most of us have a hard time letting someone else name a problem um, because we feel like if we accept that something's a problem, we have to accept whatever their solution to that problem is going to be. We're trapped, you know. And so if we let our partner say they'd like a little bit of time at the end of the day, if we accept that and acknowledge it, um, we're going to be stuck doing it. And maybe, we dis and maybe we disagree. And so one thing that we talk about a lot, that I talk about a lot with couples, is it's, uh, you know, the first step, you know, and it, it's not going to solve all your problems, um, but it's really important that when you're going into a disagreement or you have a conflict with someone, that you can at least, at the bare minimum, acknowledge what their problem is. Uh, and I, th I see this in our, in our society all the time. I think um, oftentimes somebody will say, hey, I felt hurt by this, or I don't like this, or I wish things were different in that way, and our knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, that's not a problem, or that's not my fault. Um, but Lamentations is all about naming honestly a problem. Uh, it's, it's not about solutions. There's a, a part in there for solutions. Uh, but our, our Bible actually gives us freedom to, before God, say, this is wrong. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can come together and say, you're right, that's wrong, even when we disagree about what the solution is. And so, so Lamentations does that. And if you've been with us uh, through these five poems written right after the destruction of Jerusalem, they name a problem that they don't have the answer to. Um, they, they freely name it, and then they, they wait. And the reason they're able to do this, the reason the writers of Lamentations are able to do this, and, and, and God's at work in preserving and creating this text, the reason that they're able to do this is because they have no other choice. <laughs> They're able to name the problem without a solution because they've exhausted all possible solutions. The problem is so large, there is no way to fix it. And so they're finally at that point, uh, like human beings get to sometimes, when you recognize that the issues are so big and so unsolvable, only God can do something about it. And that's how uh, Lamentations routinely comes back. Um, it's a plea. It's a prayer. Lord, this is bad, and, and I know uh, that I bear some responsibility for it, but don't forget about us. Work 
anyway. And so Lamentations 5, the last poem in Lamentations, and then, and then you can go back to never hearing about Lamentations again. Um, they, they name the problem one more time. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but you can imagine what's happening here is the author of Lamentations, and you, you think, imagine that community that we've talked about, right, reading this every year together uh, and holding up and bringing with them all of the junk from that last year, all of the struggles, all of the issues that need to be named and bringing it together as they read this poem. Lamentations does that. It drags everything from the previous four chapters, all the tragedy, all the struggle, all the misery, and they plop it down uh, at, at God's throne. They say, here it is. I know I bear some responsibility for it. And I don't know what to do. And that's, and that's it. And you'll notice uh, how it ends. So we're, we're going we're gonna to take a look right at it. Uh, and so you can imagine all this stuff. The city has fallen. And if you're an ancient Jewish person, your, your capital city has fallen. And your temple has been leveled. And all of the gold has been stolen away. And nothing is left. Uh, there's, there's nothing left. And so they bring all of it together. I'm going to start in verse 15, and, and I'm just going to read it, um, read it to the end. Uh, and it starts with this heartbreaking line. It says, Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of this, these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, the mountain where the temple is, where God and humanity meet, Mount Zion, which lies desolate, has jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old. And the last line, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure positive, encouraging. <laughs> I, think, um, I think that last line, verse 22, is one of the saddest lines in all of Scripture. Unless you have utterly rejected us. Remember, these are people uh, that have lost everything. They know it's their fault. And they bring it all to God's throne and they say, help unless it's too late. And if you've ever been with somebody who's faced significant loss, that feeling feels real to you. If you've ever lost somebody that you didn't think you could live without, that feeling feels real to you. Because it's hard to imagine God coming and doing anything after that moment. And, it, and it's sad. Uh, and, and that's how Lamentations ends. <laughs> that's the last line in this poem. Sitting in the ashes of Jerusalem, no solution to the problem. 
No resolution. Uh, it's like a song that, that never uh, lets the beat drop. It's a story without a happily ever after. It's a question with seemingly no answer. It, it, it's those three dots. It's that, you know, that ellipsis, that dot, dot, dot. Unless you have utterly rejected us, dot, dot, dot. And the people sit in the city in its ruins and they wait and listen dot, dot, dot. And, and over the course of, of Jewish history, Old Testament history, uh, that, that dot, 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 it, it hangs over uh, the Old Testament. If you ever read the Old Testament, uh, you can see it in the prophets, you can see it in everything that comes after this is that, is that dot, dot, dot. It's like when you, you know, um, when you text your friend something serious and they don't respond and then they're typing and it gives you that dot, dot, dot. They're waiting for God to say something. They're sitting there. God, what are you going to do? Will you ever restore us? Will you ever bring us back? And if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you'll notice something. You'll notice that there are some hopeful signs in those dot, dot, dots. Some good things happen. Uh, the people do at one point come back to the land because somebody else, uh, a bigger empire, allows them to. Uh, the people do actually try and rebuild the temple that lays in ruins, uh, but, but it's never uh, quite the same. And I found really interesting that, you know, we talked about this community that reads Lamentations every year. They fast, they read it together, they, they feel it together. Uh, when, they, uh, when Jewish communities, even today, read Lamentations as this, in this service, uh, they leave off verse 22. <laughs> they leave it off because it's too painful. It's too hard to read when surrounded by all of this stuff. When, and when the Old Testament ends, despite some of the good things that happen, despite a, a, a temple and people maybe coming back to the land, despite some signs of hope, this story is, is fundamentally unfinished. This is a, a dot, dot, dot story. Because if you know uh, the story of the Old Testament, right, God creates the world. It's good. He creates human beings to rule over the world. Human beings break it. And then if you read the Old Testament, God's solution is a people that he loves and cares about, uh, the people that nation, uh, become a nation, and God's going to use that nation to heal the whole world. And so if you believe that story, if you believe Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, if your nation is destroyed and ruled over by a foreign power, if the temple is leveled, uh, how is God going to keep his promise? How is God going to restore the world? It, that's it. It ends. It's dot, dot, dot. And in the prophets, there's hope. Um, in Isaiah 11, we read, uh, we read this one all the time uh, around Christmas time, right? Isaiah 11, as he promises that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Uh, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And he's talking about this cut-off line of kingship, these kings that are God's chosen people to lead Israel, to bless and heal the world. Isaiah says, uh, out of that stump, out of that ruins, out of that desolation, a shoot will come up, and, uh, and its uh, roots will create a branch, and that branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit, the Lord, will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and fear of the Lord. This is in the Old Testament. This is Isaiah. And Isaiah is saying um, that that dead stump is not dead, but the Old Testament ends. It ends uh, years before anything happens. Uh, Isaiah 40 uh, has another call. 
Uh, it says, uh, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her. And you can imagine how this is heard by those that sat, uh, that read Lamentations every day. It says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sin has been and she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In, in Isaiah, there's a promise. I know the city's leveled. I know the temple's been destroyed. I know it feels hopeless, but God hasn't forgotten you. And then, and then it ends. The Old Testament ends. It ends with that dot, dot, dot. Because guess what? These promises don't come true in the Old Testament. Uh, they're not resolved. The situation is over. The temple, uh, even though it's rebuilt, it is a shell of its former self. Uh, the first people that build it, the people that put all their effort and energy, that's the first thing they say. They say, well, it ain't quite Solomon's temple, is it? <laughs> in fact, uh, in, in Jesus' day, uh, the Jewish people were living in Israel, ruled over by Rome. They had Solomon's temple, um, or they had their second temple, and it wasn't good enough. And so actually, um, one of the, the Roman kings that Rome controlled was, was expanding it, was doing a building project to make the temple better. When Jesus walked the earth, um, people were talking about, oh, isn't it great that King Herod and, and Rome have helped us make the temple better? Look at how beautiful it is. Uh, people um, in Jesus' day and people living under this dot, 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 they do what humans do. They squint their eyes We've all done it, and they try and convince themselves that this thing that isn't as good as it should be is as good as it's going to get, <laughs> right? It's as good as it's going to get. They, they squint their eyes, and they tell themselves, well, maybe, maybe the promise has come true. Um, king Herod, appointed by Rome, he, he calls himself king. Maybe he's the shoot. Well, the temple, it's rebuilt, and and King Herod, he's making it better. Maybe that's the temple. And maybe if we squint our eyes and we forget about Rome, or maybe, uh, some people said, if we fight off Rome, then the promise will come true. But everyone knew on some level, I think this is, this is true, maybe not everybody, but at least in my experience, uh, most people know when they're kidding themselves a little bit. They knew they were still in that dot, 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 you know? Restore us to yourself, O Lord that we may return and renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure, because there was still Rome. The temple was a shell of itself, and the people of Jesus' day, uh, I think, still thought of themselves, oh, maybe we can get there. Maybe if we do something, we'll fix this problem. And if you hear what I'm saying, you notice the problem in that, because uh, in Lamentations, they know the only solution. The only solution is God doing something. Uh, but they're hoping, they're squinting, they're wondering how and if maybe God really would restore their nation to the good old days. They're looking for it. And you'd think that when Jesus shows up and is healing people and setting people free and he's reading these scriptures and saying, that's me, you would think that people would be here for it. They've waited a long time in that dot, 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 and finally, maybe God is coming, God is at work, but you'll notice when you read the New Testament, the Gospels, that most people um, had, had instead used optimism to convince themselves that they already knew the answer to the question, uh, to convince themselves that it had come true, 
And when Jesus walked the earth, uh, they said no to him. In fact, there's this, uh, this amazing story where Jesus is walking uh, out of the temple and everybody's like, look at this beautiful, amazing, perfect temple. Look, we figured it out. God hasn't forgotten us forever. But when Jesus walked the earth, he said, he said no. He said, this isn't it. He says, that temple that you worship in, it's, it's nothing. It's going to be leveled just like the last one, and if you can imagine, if you had dedicated your life for generations to squinting your eyes and convincing yourself that that was the answer to your prayers, imagine how you would react to somebody as interesting as they seemed to be who told you that that was going to fall down in just a few years. Jesus says, uh, that's not the answer. He says, that temple isn't the answer, and, and he makes this bold, ridiculous, amazing claim. Jesus says, I am the way to restoration. I am the truth and I am the life. He says, don't focus on this temple. He says, because this temple, and Jesus points to himself, uh, it's going to be destroyed too. But guess what? When this temple, Jesus's temple, gets destroyed on a cross, um, it'll be rebuilt in three days. And the people, they, they don't know what to do with that. They abandon him. They leave him. And, and over the coming weeks uh, on Palm Sunday and Easter, we're going to tell the story of how they responded how most people, the vast majority of people, even the people closest to Jesus, they, they couldn't embrace what Jesus was offering them. They couldn't embrace his answer to that question, uh, his hope uh, for the world, uh, because they were, uh, what they wanted was so much smaller. You see, the people in Jesus' day, of course, they rejected him, right? They killed him and they hung him up on a cross, um, not very much like that one, but on a cross and all the same. And they did that because he wasn't bringing them back to the normal that they had hoped for. You see, uh, most people were unable to see what Jesus was doing in their day because it was bigger than their imagination. Uh, where they dreamed for uh, safety and security, God was offering them eternal life. Where they uh, dreamed for a day of freedom from Rome, God was offering them freedom from all masters. Uh, they wanted to settle for a nice new place to worship God in, but God wanted to give them himself in Jesus. They, they settled for a dream of being restored to their favored nation status, but God wanted to reconcile with the whole world. They wanted to go back to being God's special chosen people and children when God wanted to bring all of his children back home. They wanted the power to be a special saved place again, but God wanted to save everything. And so they couldn't accept Jesus. They couldn't accept the, the, the revival that he was offering, the one that was too big for their hope and their imagination, the blessing that was too good, and they rejected it in favor of some scraps that they could control. Um, the thing that, that hits me is, you know, they... Uh, they turned down an invitation to the feast because they had a nice bag of chips at home. They skipped the wedding reception because they really wanted a spicy McChicken sandwich instead. <laughs> so they killed Jesus. They passed on his invitation and rejected God for a building. And sadly, often we are no different 
God wants to transform our relationships with people. He wants to change our families and make us new. And we would rather just going back, go back to pretending that we all get along. God wants to make us new, but we long to be made comfortable. God wants to do a new thing, but we would rather recreate a shadow of an old one. But the reality is, and the beauty is, that even though they rejected Jesus, even though they hung him up on a cross, not very much like that one, even though we would too, Jesus walked out of the tomb three days later. And he offered them, those that hung him on that tree, forgiveness and transformation and eternal life and something new that they couldn't possibly have imagined. And all who will believe in who he is and what he did and allow God's Holy Spirit to make us new can grab on to what he offered when he walks out of that tomb even though we reject him sometimes. So here we sit, right, in our own dot, dot, dot. Right? Everybody's sitting here waiting for the next thing to happen, wondering what it's going to look like, trying to convince ourselves in our own ways that we figured it out. We've got our own losses, We've got our own unsolvable problems. We've got our own unreconcilable differences. And it looks hopeless. Maybe not quite as hopeless as it looked in Lamentations 5, but I have conversations with people from this church all the time. And what I hear is hopelessness for their relationships. Hopelessness for their workplaces and hopelessness for their families. I hear, ah, why can't this person see it like I see it? Then it would all be okay, but we're never going to reconcile. There's no solution for the conflict in my family. There's no hope for people of different political views or races or dispositions to walk together with Christ. It's hopeless. We'll never see eye to eye if we disagree. The only thing we can hope for is to undo this last year and pretend it never happened. We're squinting our eyes, trying to convince ourselves that it's okay, trying to make do. But because of Christ, I want you to know, and I want me to know, and I want you to remind me that even in the darkest moments, God has not forgotten you. He's not missing what's going on. And even in the darkest moments, he wants more for you and more for me and more for this community and more for this church and more for this nation and more for this world then you or I can possibly come up with a plan to provide. That you and I can possibly see, no matter how hard we squint our eyes and convince ourselves, it's better. Because God is capable of working in bigger ways than my itty-bitty practical brain can comprehend. And if we quit trying to trick ourselves that it's all okay, maybe we won't miss what God's doing. So no matter what happens next, no matter what you've lost this year, no matter what you're afraid of losing. And tell me, we all have fears and losses this year. May we hold up that mourning. May we sit with others who mourn and hear their problems, even if we don't like their solutions. Refuse to minimize their pain. May we honestly hold on to the hard stuff, look the problems plainly in the face, and say, God has not forgotten. God wants more than this. May we admit them only, even only to ourselves and to God and pray for the God who does impossible things to look at the situations of death and desolation and, and pain and hurt and conflict and anger in our lives and invite him to bring about an impossible resurrection.
restoration that we don't deserve and life that we couldn't create. Uh, Because impossible uh, revival, as we sung about this morning, can only come from God. Can only come if he has not forgotten us forever. And Jesus, what he did on the cross, reminds us that he hadn't. So that's what I'm praying for. And I want to invite you to pray for that with me. Would Would you pray with me right now? Lord God, we are aware of our lack and our need. Help us to become more aware of our need and our lack, our brokenness and our failure. We confess, Lord, our sin, the ways that we've harmed others, the ways that we've been unable to forgive others, the times that we didn't seek forgiveness from you and and from others, Lord. We acknowledge our need. And we look around us, and it's hard to imagine what, um, what it's going to look like tomorrow, much less next year. But we know, God, that you're bigger than our need. And so we bring all our need before you, and we put our faith in your son, Jesus, who walked the earth and lived and died and rose again on our behalf, who defeated sin and death, the two biggest problems that our world has ever known, who proved that you do not forget your promises or forget about your people. We believe in who he is and what he did, and Lord, we ask that you transform us as individuals, as communities, into people, into places that are revived and made new by power that we cannot plan conjure or figure out on our own, that you'd point us with your spirit, that you'd empower us, and that you would show us just how much you can do when we rely on you. We thank you for what you've done and what you're doing, and we pray, Lord, that you lead us together in repentance, but in the new life that comes after the cross and empty tomb. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. I'd like to invite our worship team to come forward. Let's conclude our service in praise. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.